listening to audio from Community Bible Church. If you would like to find out more information about us, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. Thanks, you guys can have a seat. If you're a guest, welcome. Again, I'm, my name is Bill. I'm one of the pastors here. And we have been in the last almost three quarters of a year in the book of Matthew, and we're continuing there today. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it to Matthew 15. Uh, as we continue in this series. One of the, uh, well, the first video game uh, platform I ever had was the Atari 2600. That, it was the bomb. And you bought these, these car, it was called cartridges back then, right? And you'd have to blow on them because they'd get dust and it wouldn't work. So you, you blow on it, you put it in, turn it on, it wouldn't turn on, you, you'd start it again, right? And, and these things cost $20, $30 back in, in the early 80s, which you'd like, ah, oh, 20 bucks for a game. But that's like 120 today. Okay, so it was, it was a pricey little thing. And here's the thing about these games. They had these beautiful artwork on the front. On the outside, it made you think, wow, this is gonna be impressive. I mean, here's, here's one of the, the famous first games from Atari. Asteroids, remember Asteroids? It was a great game. All right, and look at that. It's like this cool jet-looking thing, a laser beam, and these cool asteroids. You're like, I wanna play that game. That must be unbelievable. And so you plug this thing in, here's what you get. You're a little triangle ship, doesn't look anything like that other thing. And, you know, it had three size asteroids, big, medium. Once you hit the big ones, they break into two mediums. Once you hit the medium, it's breaking to break into two smalls. And it was like, pew, pew, pew. And that was what it is. And if you went all the way to the left, what happened? You came out the right. It just, you know, this, that was not exactly what it looked like, right? Here was my all-time favorite, the game Adventure. It was a great game. The first game, by the way nerd trivia that had its own Easter egg, right? Go Google it later. Um, But you look on the front, you're like, oh, cool, dragons and castles, and it just looks like this. You're gonna go on an adventure, right? You're gonna go find this little trophy thing that you had to find. And and here's what you got. Here's your castle. (laughs) That little bat, remember that bat that would steal whatever you had and you'd have to go find it? That little box, by the way, is you. That's you, Okay. (laughs) And then that little arrow, that's not telling you which way to go. That was your sword, okay? And so when you killed the dragon, here's the dragon. It looked like a duck. Uh, This is adventure, right? And then, you know, kind of one of the most all-time famous ones, Pitfall. Remember Pitfall? Great game, right? You got to, you know, jump over the pond with the alligators and there's a scorpion. And I used to think growing up, scorpions must be these big things. And I went to Texas where the scorpions live and they're like little bugs. You just go, you know, you step on them. So you didn't have to jump over the scorpion, right? But this, this is what you got, right? Little one, you know, one dimensional guy. And when you go across the river, right? And you land in the alligator's mouth. I never wondered why the water didn't drip down into the cave under. I guess, you know, uh, you didn't think about those things when you're an eight-year-old boy. But it was, it was really, it was false advertising, right? You, you're, you think you're getting this. And then you put the game in and it's like, it's not exactly, it's not exactly what I bought. And, and really, that's the lesson I think that Jesus is trying to get across today. The lesson is you can't judge a book by its cover, right? Because what is advertised may not be what you get. And, and the lesson for us that we're gonna see today is how can we as a church not be false advertising? Promising this, look how great this is. We're gonna, this is gonna be what it is. And then when, when folks come and it's like, that's not exactly, that's not exactly what was on the cover. 
right? And so this passage is gonna be one where Jesus is gonna encourage us and challenge us to not be false advertising, to not be promising this. And this is what it's about. And then really, this is what we're given, right? And so we're gonna look at that today. And it's a challenging passage because number one, Jesus is gonna get opposed and, and it breaks our image of Jesus. We have this image of Jesus of kind of Jesus in the field with the little lambs and the little children and the lilies and he's smiling. And it's just always oh, petting the lamb and loving on the kids. And that's the image we have. That's not the image we get here. This is Jesus being opposed and he is not gonna back down. He's gonna go right back at it, right? And he's not actually gonna give us a command. He's gonna refute what he's being attacked with. But in doing so, he's gonna teach us how not to be fake, how not to be false advertising. Here, look at this. This is what we have to offer and I'm really offering this. So what we're gonna do, I'm gonna work through the entire passage and one kind of run through it, kind of unpack it. And I'm gonna come back and make some observations that I hope we'll, we'll be able to apply to ourselves so that we're not doing the thing that Jesus doesn't want us to do, right? So we'll start getting a running start in chapter 14, verse 34, where we left off last week. Remember the disciples, Jesus walks on water, Peter kind of walks on water, uh, and he gets into the boat and, it, and the storm settles. And so he picks up in 34. And when they, that's all the disciples and Jesus, crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret, which is on the west side of the uh, Sea of Galilee. When the men of that place recognized them, they sent around to all the region and brought to him all who were sick and implored him that they might only touched the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. And so Matthew is setting up this contrast. People are hearing about what Jesus did, probably already hear about the feeding of the 5,000. And, and people just want to come and just, if I can just get to his fringe, if I can just touch his cloak. And there's this contrast that Matthew is setting up for those who have just heard about Jesus and they want and they believe and they want to be healed through with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes and all these others who are opposing him who have seen what he has done, but yet they oppose. And that's who it sets up in chapter 15. The Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders if they do not wash their hands when they eat? Pharisees and scribes, remember these are two religious groups. The Pharisees were this group that arose after the the deportation was over and Israel came back into the land. And so these, these men set themselves apart, which is what Pharisees are, they set apart. And, and it was for a good reason because they had saw how idolatry had pulled them away from God and that's why they were in a captivity. So now they wanna be extra sure that we're not gonna get, go out of the land again. So we're gonna make all these rules and we're gonna be super, super intense, right? And super separate from the world. But the problem is they made all these rules that were, they were trying to put this fence around the law. So people wouldn't break the law. They put a law around the law so that you wouldn't even get to the law. So just in case. And the scribes originally were a group of people who they would copy the scripture and they would teach the scripture and people, so people would understand. But then they start getting in these groups and talking about the scripture and interpreting the scripture and then they were writing down their interpretations and writing down their thoughts and their thoughts became the law. So they had 18 volumes of what they thought. You know, remember those WWJD bracelets people wear? They would wear the WWMD, right? What would Moses do? Bracelets. And, and they were like, what would Moses do? What would Moses do? What would Moses do? What would Moses do? And they had all these rules upon rules upon rules upon rules so that the intent of the law was, was hidden. So nobody knew what God wanted anymore. We just had all these rules that no one could keep. That's these groups. And so they had a, a, a kind of a council called the Sanhedrin in Jerusalem. There's 71 of the top dogs, the bishops, the, you know, the popes of the, of the Pharisees. And they hear... For the last two years, there's been this peasant from Galilee who's healing people and he's bucking the system and he's tearing our guys up. 
And so they send a, a delegation to go kind of figure it out. What, report back to us what's going on. So they send these guys 100 miles from Jerusalem, notice, all the way to where Jesus is. That's a long ride to investigate. And so they're watching, scrutinizing, and it's dinner time. And they see the disciples and they all bow their heads. Thank you for this food. Bless grandma and grandpa and give us traveling mercies. Amen. And then they just dig in. And the Pharisees are aghast because they didn't wash their hands. And now this is nothing to do with hygiene. This is not the guy who goes in the restroom, comes out, doesn't wash his hands. And you're like, during the greeting time, I'm not talking to that guy. I'm going over here. Okay, it's not that. Nothing to do with hygiene. Everything to do with the tradition of the elders because the elders had come up with a rule. And it's crazy. You can read about it. In the Mishnah Talmud, you can read about it. So it was, it was, a, it was multi-step, right? And, and Matthew's audience, remember, they're Jewish, so they understand it already, so he doesn't explain it. But you, you don't know what they did. So, so what they would have to do, they'd have to hold their hands up and they would pour a specific, had to be a specific amount of water on both hands and that water had to drip off their arms and you couldn't, you couldn't like, you had to wait till it all dripped off because if you turn it this way and the water came back and dripped back, it was supposed to be washing the impurities away and if you put it this way and the water came back, then it, the impurities are still there so you had to start over. So they'd wait, the water would drip off, then they would flip it over and do it again from this way. Now we're getting really pure and then they would rub their hands together like this and they would dry it in a certain way and after all this rigmarole, now they could eat. And if you were spiritual, if you really love God, this is what you did. And if you really, really, really love God, you would do this in between every course. And so we're gonna do this before the salad and then before the main course. And then when the tiramisu comes out, we do it one more time, right? And the, and the Pharisees are like, I cannot believe that they're not doing that. And so they go after Jesus. Why do your disciples not do this? And Jesus ain't playing. Because he knows this is not just an attack on them, it's an attack on him. Because they don't do it because he doesn't do it. And he doesn't do it because it's dumb, Okay, because it's a man-made rule. And so he responds with a question. He said to them, why do you, and it's emphatic in the Greek text, why do you, y'all, break the commandment of God for the sake of y'all's tradition? Right, so notice the contrast. Where do the Pharisees and the scribes appeal? To tradition, fiddle it on the roof, tradition. Where does Jesus appeal? The word of God. Where, what does the fourth commandment say, y'all? Honor your father and your mother. So why, for the sake of your tradition, do you break the commandment of God that's serious because whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. There's a severe consequence under the old covenant if you didn't honor your father and mother. And one of the ways you would honor your father and mother when you were grown is you would provide for them. You would take care of them in their old age, right? Because they couldn't work anymore or because they had needs. And so you would care for them like they did when you were a child. They cared for you. That's why you honored them. But the Pharisees had a tradition, right? So let's say back in that day when there's no 401ks and no social security, your mom's donkey died. Old Bessie died. That was her way to get to the market. And they can't work anymore. Your dad's, you know, he's, he's hurt, he's older. He can't work in the fields anymore. He can't work as a carpenter anymore. So he can't make money. But you, their son, you got an extra donkey. And you have resources and you have money, right? But what they would do is they would say, you know, mom, I have this extra donkey, but, but I, this, this donkey is korban. It's, it's dedicated to God. And this money that I have is, is korban. It's dedicated to God. Look what he says. I tell you, if anyone tells his mother and father, what you have gained from me is given to God. 
mom, you know, I really would love to help you and dad out, but we're having a, a building project at the synagogue. And so the money that I have that's extra, it's going to the synagogue. It's dedicated for God. And so sorry, not sorry. You're just gonna have to go down to one meal a day, mom, and walk to the market because my extra donkey is God's donkey and my extra money is God's money. And so for the sake of holiness, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta give it to God. Sorry, mom. Sorry, dad. Right? That's what was going on. But here, on top of that, here's what's going on. Right? The, the big kind of caveat is you could say my donkey is God's, but you didn't actually have to give God the donkey. You could just ride it all you wanted to. And you could say the money is God's, but you could really use it and spend it as you wished. It didn't really matter. You never actually had to do it. But if you actually had a change of mind, you're like, ah, oh, mom needs the donkey. They wouldn't let you have a change of mind because you already dedicated to God. So you couldn't give your donkey to mom even though you wanted to, even if you finally woke up and said, mom took care of me and changed my diapers. I need to give her a donkey. You weren't allowed because you had given it to God. And what Jesus is saying is, y'all are crazy. Y'all are crazy with your rules. You have a tradition. The commandment is clear. Honor your mom and your dad. But you've made up all these rules so you can do what you want and neglect what God has said. And he says, you have made null. You have made void the word of God. You've said it's worthless by your tradition, right? And so he says, it doesn't stop there. He says, you hypocrites, you play actors, you frauds. Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you? Again, they appeal to the elders. They appeal to tradition. What does Jesus appeal to? The commandment of God to the prophets. Jesus goes to the word. And he, he, he quotes a prophecy that they know well. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. Teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Right? Your, your oral traditions, your, all this stuff. Right? You're frauds. You're fake You've, and this is not, well, you guys are just misguided. Let me correct your teaching. You are a hypocrite. You're teaching wrong things. You're taking people away from God. He is in their grill. So much for the soft Jesus petting the lamb, playing with the kids, with the lilies. He is in their face, right? And, and for the, him to quote Isaiah to them, they passage they know, well, it is unthinkable. It is offensive. It is scathing. And he doesn't stop there. Then he turns to all the people. He called to people and said, hear and understand. Listen to what I have to say. It is not what goes into a mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. So what these guys are teaching and all this hand washing and yeah, and I'm not saying don't wash your hands. Hand sanitizer is good. That's not his point. His point is not even that you can't put things in your mouth that are sinful. You clearly can. If you ingest some sort of a drug purposely, that is sin. If you're an alcoholic, that is sin. That's not his point. His point is these, these external things are not the issue. And we'll get to that in a second. But I love what happens next. So he calls them out. They're teaching wrong. They're frauds. Don't listen to them. And the disciples come to him and say, I mean, Jesus, that was, that was kind of harsh. <laughs> I mean, did you know that the Pharisees were offended? I mean, you've really got in their grill there, man. I mean, I, you might have tuned it back a little bit, you know? Because everyone respects the Pharisees. Everyone thinks that this is the epitome of where it should be. This is what true spirituality is. Here's the advertisement of what holiness looks like, right? Don't you, don't you know that you, you're rocking the boat, Jesus? And I love his response. He's not like, oh man, mate. you think they were offended? Should I send them an email? I, should I apologize? What does he say? 
every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be rooted up. I think this is a, a reference back to the wheat and the tares. Remember, the wheat and the tares will grow together and in the end, what's gonna happen? The tares will be evident and the wheat will be evident. He says, let them alone. You just leave them be. They are blind guides. How useful is a blind guide? If you came to town, you want to do one of those, remember those, any of you ever done those walking tours? Right, you go down to Savannah Dan, he's got his, he's got his seersucker on. What if Savannah Dan shows up and he's got his blind, blind glasses and a cane? He's like, all right, y'all, we're gonna go walk Savannah. You're gonna be wandering around Chippewa Square for about 45 minutes. And then you're like, I'm gonna go to Savannah Bob. I don't need Savannah Dan. Why? Because he's, a blind guide cannot lead you. And he said, that's what they are. They're blind themselves and all they're gonna do is lead people to fall in a pit. So don't follow them. Just let them be. Let them go. And then I love Peter. Peter says, Jesus, he's thinking about food still. Peter can't get his mind off food. Can you explain the parable to us? And again, Peter's the guy, remember in high school when your math teacher was like, does everyone understand? And everyone's like, huh. You sure? No questions, we're gonna move on. And you're like, I don't, I don't wanna be that guy. I have no clue what just happened. I don't know why A plus B equals C. I have no clue. But I don't wanna be the guy that raised my hand. But there's that one guy in the class who's like, I don't get it. And you're like, praise God for that guy. Because that's how we got through high school is that guy. Some of you are that guy. Thank you for getting us all through high school. But no one else wants to ask the question, but Peter's like, I don't, I don't get it. Because remember, Peter, his whole life has been eating kosher. His whole life, he's been like, don't do, don't do, right? That's what they've lived under on that old covenant, right? That's where they lived. And so when he's saying, you know, not go, goes into your mouth, he's like, I, I, don't, I just don't get it. And it's not just him. The rest of them don't either. So Jesus tells them, are you, and that you there is y'all, it's plural. Are y'all still without understanding? Y'all been with me for two years. Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and it's expelled? This is almost, this is borderline potty talk. All right, this is, Jesus is giving him anatomy lesson. All right, let's, let's, in the mouth, down the esophagus, into the stomach, right? We'll leave it there. That's how it works. Do you not get that? Do you not understand that? And Mark's gospel, at this point, puts in parentheses, this is where Jesus declares all foods clean. Which is a lesson that Peter doesn't get for several years, not until Acts chapter 10. Remember old covenant, no barbecue, no shrimp, all these things you couldn't eat. Right, because they, they were to be set apart and distinct as the people of God. But under the new covenant, what makes us distinct? The fact that we put our faith in a Messiah, that his spirit is in us. We have a new heart. And so there's no, you can eat barbecue, you can eat shrimp, you can all those things. And again, Peter didn't get it for a long time, but he declared it there because it's not what goes into your mouth because that just goes in your stomach and it's out and it's gone. That's, that's his idea, that's his point. And then he explains it. What comes out of the mouth proceeds where? From the heart from the heart. And this defiles a person. It's the heart. Out of the heart comes evil thoughts and murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, all these things. He, he kind of unpacks the 10 commandments right in order. That comes from the heart, right? And we're not talking about the physical heart, you know, the chambers of the heart, the aorta and all those other things. We're talking about the will, the desires, the motives, the thought processes. As a man thinks in his heart, so he is. When Jesus attacks the Pharisees, he says, why do you, why do you think evil in your heart? been well said that the human problem is a problem of the human heart, right? It's the heart issue. You're not defiled by your diet, whether you're a vegan, or you're Atkins, or you're a keto, or you're a junk food junkie. That's not what defiles you. 
It's the heart. It's the heart problem, right? All these things, immorality, theft, they come from the heart. And here's the problem. The world that we live in doesn't buy it. We live in a world that truly believes, and you hear this all the time, that people are inherently good. Just leave them alone and they'll do what is right. Okay, all the college freshmen know which classes take role and which ones don't. And which ones are the ones they skip? The ones that don't take role. Why? Because they will naturally do what is wrong. That's what you do. I don't have to teach my two-year-old. I don't have a two-year-old anymore, praise God. But when I did, I don't have to teach a two-year-old to do what is, to do what is wrong. I have to teach them to do what is right. Their first words are naturally, no. Second word, no, ma'am. <laughs> I have to teach them to obey. Why? Because man, when left alone, turns into Lord of the Flies. That's what happens, right? Because it's a heart problem. And what we do as a, as a world, we try to place it and, and we try to place blame when immorality shows up or theft or false witness or all these things. We, play, we try to blame it in one of three areas. Environment, education, example. That's where we land. Oh, it's the environment that so-and-so grew up in. If they grew up here, they wouldn't end up here. If they did this, the problem with that is and then we got this person that grew up super bad environment and we have this guy that grew up on the country club and now, oh, well, he, he did all this because he's just rebelling against his father and his rich friends. And, and they're same activity, it's just different environment. So, so it can't be environment. And then we had, oh, it's an education problem. If we just get, got better education, then this person wouldn't have done this and they wouldn't have done that and they wouldn't have done that. Problem is, the Ivy Leagues have the same issues as Georgia Southern. It's not knocking Georgia Southern, I'm not knocking Georgia Southern. I'm just saying it's not the same as Princeton, okay? That's what I'm saying. Can we acknowledge that? But you got the same issues on Ivy League that you got at Georgia Southern. You have the same issues. I know some of you don't want to believe this. You have the same issues at Country Day that you do at Savannah High and every other school in between. Same sins, right? Because it's not an education issue. And it's not an example issue necessarily. You had no father. I had a bad father. I had no, no environment where, I could, where someone taught me anything. I have, I have a bad example. In the words of the famous theologian, the man in black, well, my daddy left home when I was three, didn't leave very much to my mom and me except this old guitar and an empty bottle of booze. Now, I don't blame him because he run and hid, but the meanest thing my daddy ever did was before he left, he went and named me Sue. He must have thought it was quite a joke. I got a lot of laughs from a lot of folks. Seems I had to fight my whole life through. Some gal would giggle and I'd turn red and some guy would laugh and I'd bust his head. I tell you, life ain't easy for a boy named Sue. Good words. Is it the, oh, is he a negative example? Negative environment, negative education. Jesus' point is environment, education, example, none of them can make you sin. Now, are those factors in how we live? Of course they are. We'd be ignorant to say they're not. But in the end, all they can do is appeal to something in here, right? That's what they do. They appeal to what is already there. They not make you sin. They cannot make you sin. Right? We sin because of what's in our heart. Every sin, Jesus' point, is an inside job. And if we go to, oh, it's just an education problem, it's an environmental problem, it's an example problem, then our solution is better education, better environment, better example. And it won't ever fix anything. It'll just make us smarter sinners. That's all it'll do. 
because it doesn't deal with the root issue, which is what? The heart, which is why Jesus tells Nicodemus in John chapter three, you wanna enter the kingdom of heaven? You gotta be born again. I gotta put my spirit in you. You gotta have a new heart with new desires and a new will to please me. It won't happen unless you get to the heart. Doesn't matter how smart, how great. Example, who had the best example ever? Did Judas Iscariot not have the greatest example ever? And he rebelled, right? It's not, that's not it. It's got to be to the heart. And all the rules and regulations and hand washing and diets don't touch the heart, which is Jesus's point. And so he's saying, boys, you get this? You get this? And they're like, yeah, we get it. And they don't get it. They'll get it after the resurrection, but they don't get it yet. But what about us? What's the point for us? Because again, there's never one command given. He doesn't say go and do and go and be. He doesn't actually tell us to go do something. But let me give you three big observations from this text because I don't want us to be a group of people who are advertising one thing and then here's what we are. Here's what we really are. Look how cool and great and that, that's a great asteroids cover but then it's just doom, doom, doom. All right, so let me give you three from our text. Here's the first one. Is remember that Jesus takes hypocrisy serious, right? I, I know the old adage is, you know, the church is full of hypocrites and we're always like, yeah, you're right, come join us, right? But here's the thing, there's a difference between saying we're not perfect and we know what is right to do and sometimes we don't do it. That's not hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is we're pretty good. Come be with us because we do it right. We're better than everybody else. In fact, we don't really need God. We just gather because we're pretty good. We wouldn't say that. I mean, we'll use the God words, but we really think we're great. Here's the danger, because we have a temptation to think, you know, we're, we're one of the better churches in, in the area. I mean, we just are. Look at, we're doing this and we're doing that and we're, oh, look how great we are. That is hypocrisy. All we are is a group of people who are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. That is all we are. On our best day, that is all we are. And if we tend to think, well, we do this right. And those churches, they don't do this right. And if they did it right, all we're doing is this, what he's talking about. We don't gather because we have it together. We gather because we don't, but we had a savior who did. And we honor his resurrection by getting together and preaching the gospel to one another and hearing from the word of God. That is what we do, right? Because Jesus has a ton of grace for sinful people. I mean, Zacchaeus and Matthew were thieves. They're stealing money from their own nation as tax collectors. The woman caught in adultery, the woman who's been married six times and living with the seventh. Peter, who denied Jesus. There is grace for them, but Jesus is opposed to the arrogant and says, I'm good. I've kind of got this together. I, don't, I mean, I don't really need you, God. I'm, I'm kind of a good person, right? I'm kind, of a, I'm kind of a nice person. And we need to stay away from that Instagram, fake, fraud, filtered, look how great I am Christianity. Because it's not real. And not only is it not real, not only is it a lie, you're, you're discouraging people who don't have it together and they're thinking, look how perfect their little thing is. I'll never be that. You're actually discouraging people from the real thing by putting on a fake and putting on a fraud. This is why Jesus starts with blessed are the what? Poor. Blessed are those who what? Mourn not the arrogant. And in and, and Luke 18, Jesus deals with this in a parable. We won't get to it in Matthew because we're in different gospel and it's not in this one, but he tells a parable and he says, two men went up to the temple and pray. Pharisee, 
and a tax collector. And, and you gotta remember the audience is like, ooh, this is gonna be good. They love this kind of story. Good guy, bad guy, what's gonna happen? I hope he gets struck by lightning. What's gonna happen? He says, both of them went up to pray. Yeah, I bet they did. One of them looked up to heaven. Oh yeah. One of them looked down at his feet. One of them recapped their week. I am, man, I tithed, I fasted, I this, I that, I did my quiet time, I went to church, I served in the nursery, I did all these things. And everyone's like, woohoo, that guy's rocks. The other guy, he recaps his week. I sinned. I'm, I'm a sinner. Like, ooh, boo. That's the Georgia Bulldogs, boo. And everyone is shocked when Jesus says, which one went home righteous? This one. Why? Because God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble, right? That's, that's what we need to remember. And what this is a challenge for us and an encouragement is to be authentic in who we are. That doesn't mean you come in and just confess your sin to the world. Hey, this week I was a jerk and I kicked the dog and I yelled at my wife. That's not what we're saying. But don't act like you have it all together. Don't come in here and say, hey, look how good I am. Look how spiritual I am. Look how big my Bible is. Look at all my notes and my thing. Look at all this. Look at... It's not about you, right? Don't portray this Instagram perfect, you know, Christianity, just like we do with your meals. Yes, your meal looks so great, but we know you gave kids cereal six other nights of the week. We know. <laughs> Captain Crunch, five major food groups. But the point is, Jesus is saying is, what you do in private is more important than what you do here. That's why we say go be the church, not come to church. No, go be, because what you do in private matters. And you can fool everybody in the world with your false advertisement, look how cool, but you can't fool him. And you don't need to. You don't need, you cannot impress him. You don't need to. That's the point. He gives grace to the humble. So it's a reminder to be authentic and needy and for us to stay humble. Please don't, don't, I, I've seen churches look down on other churches. And I'm not talking about churches that don't preach the gospel that are going to apostate, but other churches that are a little bit distinct and different and do things a different way. And oh, we, we don't do it that way. We're better. Don't, don't, don't bring that into the house, right? We don't need that. We don't need to be hypocrites. Here's the second one, is that truth trumps tradition. Are traditions bad? No, they're not. Can they be helpful? Yeah. Are they helpful for rhythms? And, and, and when a church of our side, is there, things, is there ways we do things because we have structure? Absolutely. But there becomes a problem with tradition when tradition drives the ship. And the way we do things has a tendency to become the way things are done and the way things ought to be done, right? Because then what happens is if you don't do things the way we do them, well, then, then you're JV, I mean, I see you bringing your nice little iPad to church with your ESV app, but if you were really a Christian, you'd have a hard copied Bible so you could take notes. And if you really were a Christian, a, a serious Christian, you wake up early into your quiet time and not do it during your lunch break. That's, that's what real Christians do, right? And you can go down the line, this type of school, this type of songs. I mean, we have all sorts of traditions. This is my row. This is the service you ought to go to. We have all sorts of things that we had. Some of you are old enough to remember that if you were a woman and you wore pants to church, you were a Jezebel. Oh, I can't believe that woman. She's wearing slacks. It's the outfit of the devil, right? And, and look, again, tradition in itself is not wrong unless tradition trumps truth. Where does Jesus go? Two times. 
What is the commandment of God? What does Isaiah say? Right? That's where we go. We don't go beyond what the scripture says. That's, that's where we land. As people often ask me, almost every star here, why, don't, why doesn't CBC do an invitation? Right? And uh, because I came from a church that did an invitation, and that's where lost people got saved, and don't you care about the lost? And, you know, something like that. And of course we care about the lost. That's why we do missions, and we live in community, and we live in, on, on mission. But I'll often say, hey, the reason we don't do an invitation is because the Bible doesn't command us to do an invitation. That's why. And walking an aisle never saved anybody. And if you study church history, where did the invitation come? Came from the second great awakening where a bunch of people tried to manipulate people to believe in Jesus. And so they sat them down on the front row for an hour and a half until they finally believed. And then they walked away and they had made a confession, but they weren't really saved. But is, is an invitation wrong? No. But it's not a command. It's not like this is the liturgy of the church According to Acts chapter 12, you know, welcome, passing of the peace, pastoral prayer, invitation. No, we, we, it's a tradition and that's fine, but it's not what God has said. This, we're, gonna, we're gonna stick to what God has said and then there's gonna be things that we do the way we do them and that's fine. Just don't make them the only way because if we do, what we're saying is this. We can't help there'll be the, the Pharisee. We're saying, look at us. We do things right. Look at me. I'm the standard and I'm the decider of what is truth and what is not. And of course you're gonna be the Pharisee in the end because you are about you and you're advertising people to see you and not see the Savior, which is why we're here. Not to look at us, to look at him. Because if you look at us, that's hopeless. You look at him, that's hope. So truth trumps tradition. Truth trumps tradition. And here's the last one. We need to be a people who focus on the internal and not the external. We have an external driven culture. And not only do we focus on the externals, we decide which externals are the most important externals, right? So think about this. I was reminded of this when I was in the, air, in the airport a few weeks ago. So 30 years ago, 30, 40 years ago, you could get on a plane, some of the young people can be shocked, and you could smoke on a plane. Remember this? There's a smoking section, and it didn't matter because you're in like a, this long tube, so the smoke was everywhere, but there was the smoking section, right? But, and we've always known cigarettes are bad, and I'm not saying cigarettes are good, so if you're hearing me, see, Pastor Bill said cigarettes are good, I'm not saying cigarettes are good. But somewhere along the line in the last 40 years, cigarettes came, went from, okay, these are unhealthy and bad, to, oh, this is the worst thing in the history of the world. If you're a smoker, Oh my gracious. And it's evident when you walk in the airport and there's little, a little 10 by 10 box and they make it clear on purpose, I think. And all you can see is people's feet. It's just a smoke-filled cloud, uh, like 47 people crowded in this little 10 by 10 box. And, and I think the point is so that you would walk by and say, you silly, smelly, dirty-lunged people, how silly are you? Don't you know how foolish you are sitting in your 10 by 10 box? Meanwhile, we got a 600-calorie mocha and a 1,000-calorie sausage sandwich. And we're cussing like a sailor, and we looked at porn this week. But you know what? I can walk by and see these silly people because in my personal scale, dirty lungs, that's a 9 out of 10 on the bad scale. Dirty mouth, that's only a 2. Dirty arteries, that's only a 3. And we can decide that which is most important and that which is the most evil. And that's the point that Jesus is making. You can, you can talk about externals all the life, but it's, what's in here? 
Here's another one that might get some of y'all mad at me, and that's fine. In our day and age of our religion of eco-friendliness, where the worst thing you can ever do is drive something that gets less than 20 miles per gallon. Oh my goodness, don't you care about Mother Earth? Oh my goodness, it's the God of environmentalism, right? And, and don't get me wrong, should Christians care about the, the, the planet? Absolutely. In the creation mandate, he says, you have dominion, so we should steward creation well. Absolutely, the earth is the Lord and all that is in it. So of course we're supposed to steward creation. But what we do is, I can't believe, you, you see the guy over here and he threw a glass bottle in the trash can. He's polluting the earth. Horrible. Meanwhile, you're slandering, gossiping everyone at the office and polluting the hearts of men and women at the office. But it's more important that you threw a glass bottle in the trash can. Why? Because we've decided that. And Jesus' point, it's, it's about the heart. And let me just, just kind of give you a peek, by the way, of, of where the earth ends. It burns. New heavens, new earth. He destroys this earth. I'm not saying we should just set everything on fire so we can get there quicker. We should steward the earth. But it's gonna burn. Right? It's a losing battle. But our hearts, this is where Jesus says start. Right? And again, he's not saying that purity doesn't matter. Peter says you should be unstained by the world. He's not saying there's things we should stay away from. No, he says that abstain from fleshly lust, which wage war against your soul. So we care about purity and we care about being unstained and we care about holiness. But just know it starts in here, not in the glass bottle that's not thrown in the recycling bin. It's not because you smoke or not, it's what comes out. That's why the scripture's just all over the place. Guard your heart. Keep your heart pure. Stay, stay alert, be sober-minded. Here's what Paul says in Colossians. This is a huge passage for us. I think this will be a great memory passage for some of you. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Kill it, mortify it, starve it. What? Immorality, impurity, passion, desire. Same list that Jesus has given, basically. Why? On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. And in these two, you once walked. This was your life. This is you in college. This is you last year. This is who you were. You were living in that. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene, talk from your mouth. These things that come out of your heart, you gotta renew your mind. You gotta renew your heart. You gotta be in tune with what God is doing. You gotta put these things away. You gotta fight them. Stop pretending, stop washing your hands and thinking, oh, look, I'm good. No, get to the heart. This is why you need people speaking in your life that say, hey, have you thought about this? This is why you need community, right? To be challenged because we're blind to our own sin. We focus on the outside. I mean, most of us this morning, you got a shelf of shower. You know, some of you put a little product in your hair. Ooh, yeah. You brush your teeth, like four of you flossed put on some deodorant and you came to church. Praise God. We're thankful you put on deodorant. We got our outsides ready, but how many of us took a moment in the car or any time this morning say, God, I'm just, my heart is, is not still. Speak to my heart this morning. I get to gather with the saints once a week for an hour and seven minutes. Use this time to make me more like your son. Show me what I need to see. Speak to my heart, spirit. We get ready on the outside. We neglect. We neglect the heart. And that's Jesus' point. Hey, put on deodorant, please. But check your heart. And when God says, hey, this part's, you got some pride over here. You got some arrogance over here. You got some deceit over here. Deal with that. 
I'm gracious. I'm, I'm opposed to the proud, but I give grace to the humble. We don't want to be false advertising. We don't want to be like the Pharisees. Look at us. Look at our robes. Look at us wash our hands. Remember, the Pharisees weren't hypocrites because they were sinners. Of course they were sinners. They're hypocrites because they didn't acknowledge it. And they pretended that they were not what they really were. Remember, Jesus takes it serious. He takes it serious. Truth trumps tradition. And let's deal with the internal. Let's deal with the inside, not the external. Because the inside will drive the external. It really, really will, right? So we're gonna play, we're gonna sing. And again, for those of you who are guests, we do a couple songs after our time in the Word because we wanna give you some chance to reflect, to think, let the Spirit move. If you need to sit and pray, then sit and pray. You need one of our prayer team who kind of in this back hallway up here, you need one of them to pray for you, come on, they'd love to do so either during singing or, or after the service. Maybe you need to repent of something, maybe you just need to sing loudly and offer a sacrifice of praise, as the writer says, right? That's what we're gonna do. So whatever's appropriate for you in this time, uh, do it. And, and you, again, you only have an hour with, with people of God, and then we go be the church. And so so don't, don't, if God's putting his finger on an area, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Don't, no, I'll do that later, I'll do that later. No, do it today. And you'll find a gracious God, right, who forgives sins because he is slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. Let me pray, and then you can stand if you want or you can stay seated, whatever you want uh, in this time. Father, uh, thank you for your word, even the challenging texts. Pray you would make us real, acknowledging our need for you, a God who saves, a God who rescues sinners, these, that list we read in Colossians, that was us. And if we're honest, sometimes it still is. So that we would put these things aside, that we would be real and authentic and that we would be trusting in your word and ultimately dealing with the inside so that we're more like your son. We'll trust you. We love you. Thank you for what you're doing in us and through us. It's in Christ's name I pray, amen.